Exodus chapter 40. We're getting near the end of this little study, or long study, on the tabernacle. We, were, we went to Penzance last Sunday, and we met a, a, a pastor of a church down there, a little free uh, evangelical church in Penzance. Somebody had asked me about churches down there, and we went to try and find this one. And they had been studying the tabernacle, and it had taken them a year to get through it. So <laughs> it started the Old Testament 20 years ago, going right through it bit by bit, and they got as far as Second Kings. So I would think by the time the millennium comes or something, it'll be about at the end of the Bible. <laughs> but it was, one, it was nice meeting, it was a lovely, lovely man. So we're going to look at Exodus chapter 39. Uh, the last couple of verses in chapter 39 and some verses in chapter 40. Up until we have been looking at, we were looking at chapter 34 last week, and then the next few chapters are allocated to the people making the tabernacle, the actual making of it. We looked at all the, the, the instructions God gave to Moses. And then in between then, uh, with Moses coming down and we had it, uh, he the, the tables of stone were given to him and they were broken and then he went up again and God gave him a, rewrote the, the tables of stone, uh, the commandments again. And they had the, the whole thing about the, the golden calf and the parenthesis in the middle of Moses coming down with the instructions and the work actually beginning to make the tabernacle. And so the men started working on the tabernacle and it was completed and they came to Moses. And we start at verse 42. Everything had been made, and it was all ready to be erected. According to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so the children of Israel made all the work. And Moses did look upon the, all the work, and behold, they had done it as the Lord had commanded, even so had they done it. And Moses blessed them. Then go on into verse, uh, chapter 40. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month shalt thou set up the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation. And thou shalt put therein the ark of the testimony, and cover the ark with the veil. And thou shalt cover, bring in the table, and set it in order, uh, and set in order the things that are to be set in order upon it. And thou shalt bring in the candlestick, and light the lamps thereof. And thou shalt set the altar of gold for the incense before the ark of the testimony, and put the hanging of the door to the tabernacle. And thou shalt set the altar of the burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of the tent of the congregation. And thou shalt set the laver between the tent of the congregation and the altar. And thou shalt put water therein. And thou shalt set up the court around about and hang up the hangings at the court gate and thou shalt take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is therein and thou shalt hallow it and all the vessels thereof and it shall be holy and thou shalt anoint the altar of the burnt offering and all his vessels and sanctify the altar and it shall be an altar most holy and thou shalt anoint the laver and his foot and sanctify it and thou shalt bring Aaron and his sons unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and wash them with water. And thou shalt put upon Aaron the holy garments and anoint him and sanctify him that he may minister unto me 
in the priest's office. And thou shalt bring his sons and clothe them with coats. And thou shalt anoint them as thou didst anoint their father, that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. For their, for their anointing shall surely be an everlasting priesthood throughout their generations. This did Moses according to all that the Lord commanded him, so did he. And it came to pass in the first month of the second year, on the first day of the month, that the tabernacle was reared up. Now we've been through all this for those of us who have been here, <laughs> the few that have been here. Um, the whole thing was set up, and it explains there what was put into it. In the most holy place they brought the Ark of the Covenant. And then there was a veil between that and the next section. And in the next section was the candlestick, the uh, altar for incense, on which incense only was altered, uh, offered, and also the table that held the showbread. And then there was another veil, which was the door out into the open between the congregation and the sanctuary. And immediately outside that door, you came to the laver, this big bronze cauldron, sort of the whole water where the priests washed. And then next thing, going outwards, you had the main altar, the altar where the sacrifices were made. And around about the whole thing was a large enclosure, all with awnings all around it. And that's what Moses set up. And that's what he was instructed. And... In chapters, as we said, in, actual, in 35 to 39, we see the actual building of the tabernacle by the anointed workers. It says all these workers who built and worked at making all these things, they were anointed. And the ladies, they made some of the, the garments for the priests and some of the ornate embroidery. You know, there had been a collection. If you go back a few chapters to 36 and verse 6, They'd had a collection. They, they, they said they needed all these things for the from the congregation. And Moses gave commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman make any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing. An amazing thing. Here we had the, an announcement made that they wanted gold and silver and all these embroideries, all these dyed garments and dyed skins for to make the tabernacle. And they got such a response that they had to tell the people to stop. It doesn't happen often in churches these days that you get a minister getting up and saying, listen, don't bring any more uh, things. We, we have enough. Not a problem in the church today. Moses commanded them to stop giving. Credible. The people's hearts were touched with this whole process. Well, the day came when everything was finished. And in verse 42 of the passage we read, the, the people had finished it, chapter 39, 42, and they said, Moses, you better come and look at this. And it had been done according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. So the children of Israel made all the work. They did it exactly as the Lord had commanded. And this is something we've been emphasizing as we've gone through. They did everything according to all that the Lord had commanded. There was no room for man's ideas in this tabernacle. Man's ideas were not in it. There was no room for human 
and fleshly embellishments. You know, if, if the chap who was making the candlestick, and it was quite ornate, but he thought, maybe I'll put an extra few little uh, things up. No, there was no room for that. He had to do it strictly in accordance with the way God had commanded. There wasn't anything left out because it was too difficult. Some of that work was very ornate and took a lot of delicate workmanship, but they didn't leave anything out because it was too difficult. And they didn't leave anything out because it seemed to be unimportant. All the little things had to be put in as well. And another thing, they were living in a land where they were surrounded by people and they were going into a land where, where they were going to drive out the people in front of them. So they didn't, they might have been influenced by what were the people that were going into, what do they think of this? We better not offend them. No, there was nothing left out because it might offend their neighbors and there was nothing put in to appease their neighbors that would have made them a little bit more acceptable in the land into which they were going. And nothing was left out because it was too costly. I mean, the amount of gold used in this whole thing was unbelievable. All the, all the inside of the most holy place was just all gold. And so, nothing was left out or put in that was, they thought was trivial. No, it had to be done exactly as God had commanded. And you know, Paul, when he was talking in Acts, he was leaving, he, he was leaving Ephesus. And he'd been with them for three, over three years. And he'd been teaching them and he'd been instructing them. If you'd like to look at Acts 20. Acts 20 and verse 27. And he was, he, he was just about to leave them and he, he gave his final farewell to them. And verse 27... He said, I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsels of God. He had told them everything about how they should live, how they should act, what their doctrine should be. He said, I haven't left anything out. I've told you the whole counsel of God. But you know, Paul knew that when he left, there would be people who would come and that they would change things. And if you read on from verse 27, he said, take heed... Therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. He said, you're in charge of these, this flock of God. You're shepherds in charge of the, the, the sheep. And he says, take heed that you feed them with the full counsel of God. All the counsel of God. For I know, he says, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. The flock was there, and he could see that outside there were wolves circling. Circling around, waiting for him to go just to start coming into the flock. And he says, not only that, of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. He said, there are people here. And they will rise up from inside the church and they will speak perverse things. So be warned, he says. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn you. Every one night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up 
and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. You see, Paul knew that they had to stick by the, the word of God. Otherwise, these people were going to come in and spoil the whole thing. You can imagine the scene in Israel going back. All the, the workers standing around there and they say to Moses, we finished. You better come and look at this. And Moses came and he inspected it. He inspected the whole thing, it says. And Moses did look at all the work. Come to inspect it. The nervousness, the, the tension of these workers. Had, had we done it right? And, and the verdict. Moses did look upon all the work and behold they had done it as the Lord had commanded. Even so had they done it. And Moses blessed them. Moses examined all the work. They had done it satisfactorily. Why? Because they had done it exactly as God had commanded. That was a good report, a good Ofsted report they got. On a personal level, what would the result of such an examination be if God was to inspect our lives? You know, this is serious, isn't it? God has, has laid down a pattern for your life and for my life in Scripture. And in your fellowship, what would the result be if, if we were subject to such an examination? Now look at the points again which we had, we said about the tabernacle. But if it was for my life, is there any, there's no room in my life and the way I conduct my Christian life for man's ideas. It has to be in accordance with God's ideas. There's no room for, for fleshly and human embellishments to, to what I believe. I have to believe solely the word of God. Should I leave something out because it's too difficult? Jesus said to his disciples one day that they were hard. Some, some of the sayings he said were hard. They, they said were hard sayings. And some of them went away because they said what he was saying was too difficult. And they left him. And do we leave things out because we think it's unimportant? And again, we're, we're living in the world. Do, do we leave something out because it might offend the people we're living around because it might offend our neighbours or put something in in order to appease our neighbours the people we're, we're living around and then you know they, they, they put so much gold into the tabernacle but do we leave something out because it's too costly and not only in monetary terms but in our, in, in our popularity do we, do we leave things out because of that do we leave things out because they just seem trivial, unimportant to us? But you know, we, we say this all the time. Even the little tent pegs were specified what they were to be. And the little hooks where the awnings were hooked on. God laid down a pattern for all those little things. They were all important. You know, we, we've said it so many times. Any old bit of timber would have held the tent up. But that's not what God wanted. He specified every little detail. And in our Christian walk, remember, it's every little detail that counts. It's important. No compromise. That was what the plan 
said that Moses gave the people, you're not to compromise, you're not to, you're not to put in your own ideas, you're not to try and put in your ideas instead of God's ideas. Why do we, why and why do Christians and we day by day compromise? You know, in chapter 34, we saw that God warned them. And you know, he said that this compromise that they were going to do with the people round about when they went in was the, 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 the equivalent of adultery, spiritual adultery. You're going away, he said, in 34 verse 15. He said, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. Remember, he says, I'm a jealous God. I'm jealous lest they make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land and they go a-whoring after their gods and do sacrifice unto their gods and one call thee and thou eat of his sacrifice. Oh, he says, so easy. You know, you, you, you just want to appease the people around you. But he says, remember, I'm a jealous God. And he says, you'll give your daughters to their sons and their daughters will go a-whoring after them. You know, the whole thing is going to get mixed up. And, and the worship that you end up with was, you know, the, the Israelites had produced this golden calf instead of Jehovah. And sometimes we look at the, the world around us today and we see the churches look less like what God wants them to be as the golden calf looked like the God of the Bible. They've gone away. We've gone astray. Remember, God is a jealous God. If only Israel had remained true to, to, to these instructions throughout their time, they wouldn't have had that long, long journey in the wilderness because they would have been going to the promised land much sooner. If only we would also, our Christian walk and our Christian life might be uh, so much more relevant. And you know, because they maintained all this, because they, 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 they had done everything in accordance with the way God had said, what do we read? They were blessed. Moses blessed them. In Psalm 1, we have the same idea. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. These men, when they were making these articles uh, for the, the tabernacle, they, they thought about it, how they were going to do it. And it's like you and me, we should think of how we're going to please God. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. That's a wonderful promise. You know, we should, we should see that the man in Psalm 1 didn't compromise. He didn't compromise his situation in any way. And you know, he ended up as an evergreen tree. Do you want to be an evergreen tree? You don't want your leaves to wither. Do you want to produce fruit? Therefore, follow the instructions of Psalm 1. But let's go back to chapter 40. In those verses we read in chapter 40, it's interesting. You know, the, the, 
It had taken them nearly a year to get the tabernacle ready. From the instructions from, from, from when they started their instructions, about 11 months, 11 and a half months. They had left Egypt on the 14th day of Nisan. And now 11 and a half months later, on the first day of that month, Nisan, the tabernacle was set up. The 14th day of the second month, they kept the Passover. You'll see that in Numbers 9. 14 days after the tabernacle was set up, they, they kept the first memorial of the Passover of leaving Egypt. And then on the 20th day of the second month, their journey started. Their journey started. In Numbers 10, verses 11 to 13, you read that the journey started. The, the cloud rose from the tabernacle, and away they went. Fifty days, fifty days it was, after uh, the, the first of Nisan, when the tabernacle was set up. The glory of the Lord appeared when they set up the tabernacle. What a wonderful thing. When they set up that tabernacle, the glory of the Lord appeared. We'll look at that in a minute. You know, our Lord appeared in resurrection glory on the, the Feast of First Fruits. After he rose from the dead, the, on the Feast of First Fruits, on the, the day after the Sabbath of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, our Lord was out on the Kidron Valley, and that was the day that the priest cut that symbolic sheaf and he brought it in to the temple or the tabernacle and he offered it as a wave offering to God as a, a foretaste a type of, of the harvest that was to come and it was wonderful that that was the same day that our Lord was out on the day after his resurrection and then 50 days after that came the Feast of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit descended on the church. And then the journey of the church started throughout the world. It went throughout the whole world and they turned the world upside down. It's interesting that it was 50 days after the setting up of the tabernacle that the journeys of the children of Israel also started. You know, in the chapter 40, the only person that is in the center stage here is Moses. It looks as if Moses did the whole of the setting up of the tabernacle. We don't read of anybody else being there. Moses, the Lord spake unto Moses, told him what to do, and then if you look at verse 18, it says, and Moses reared up the tabernacle and fastened his sockets and set the boards and did the whole thing. As the Lord commanded Moses. As the Lord commanded Moses. Verse 23. 25, as the Lord commanded Moses. And, and so on. In verse 29, as the Lord commanded Moses. And Moses, on verse 33, finished the work. It was Moses who set up the the tabernacle. And what did Jesus say? You know, God had said he, he wanted to come and dwell amongst the people. That was the whole object of building the tabernacle. God said, I want to dwell amongst these people. 
And you know, Moses is a type of Christ. And Jesus said in Matthew, in Matthew 16, verse 18, And I say unto thee, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now that verse in relation to Peter has been taken completely wrongly by the Roman Catholic Church, and they claim that Peter was the one on which the church was built. But the church was built by Jesus Christ based on himself. Our Lord is building his church. I will build my church, he says. Moses was the one who set up the tabernacle. Moses is a type of Christ. Jesus said, I will build my church. You know, the church of God has not been built by you and me. It's been built by our Lord. It's his church. The psalmist says, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman watcheth but in vain. Jesus said, I will build my church. Now man has built churches. There are many churches. We have the, the Roman Catholic Church who claims to be the only true church. We have the Anglican Church, the Methodist Church, the Baptist Churches. But the church is being built by the Lord Jesus. And it's only the tr true believers within these churches that form part of his church. Man has made these monsters of organizations and call them the church. You, you notice it on, on programs quite often, on things like the Sunday program. What does the church say? It's not what the church says. The church is the body of true believers. Not these massive organizations. As I said, some of these organizations look as less like the true church as the golden calf looked like the true Jehovah that the people were worshipping. Those of us who are born again of the Spirit of God, that is the true, those are the members of the, of the true church. And it said, just looking at this again, Jesus said, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's aggressing a little bit. Uh, I, I was thinking about this uh, last night or Friday night and the Jews apparently I, I, I discovered talk about the gates of hell sometimes they, they talk about the gate of hell in singular and the gates of hell in, in the plural and they say some that the hell has tr three gates one in the wilderness one in the sea and one in Jerusalem and they talk of an angel called uh, Samriel who has the keys three keys in his hand and they're supposed, he's supposed to be the angel that opens the three doors. I don't think our Lord was alluring to, alluding to that. But, but nevertheless, it's interesting that he said, The gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. What he is definitely saying is that all the, the infernal principalities and powers, the wicked and evil in this world, shall not prevail against the church, his church. They'll never overcome it. They'll never root it out. They'll never destroy it. His gospel and his church will not be prevailed against by the evil in this world. You know, the, in, in, there's a verse in Isaiah which says, I said, in Isaiah 38 and verse 10, I said in the cutting off of my days, I shall go down to the gates of the grave. I am deprived of the residue of my years. 
The gates of Hades or hell sometimes seem to design no other than the gates of death and the grave. The person's going into the state of death. And Jesus is saying that as we go through, through death, those, the gates of death shall not prevail against the church because he has overcome sin and death and the grave. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Yes, we're going down the valley, but we will have Jesus with us. Uh, we, you and I, friendly neighbor, you and I will there have none, but a heavenly hand will guide us lest we fall. Christ is going down the valley with us all. We are going down the valley, going towards the setting of the sun. We are going down the valley one by one. But to the Christian, it is only the valley of the shadow of death. What a thought for us believers. We're trusting in the saving and keeping power of the Lord Jesus Christ that the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. We are secure in and with the Lord Jesus Christ as members of his church which will continue there's another thing I was thinking about was that in, in, in the Old Testament when, when people were in a state of authority in a town or a city they sat at the gate you know the, the, those people who sat at the gate they were the ones who were the sort of the, the council the town council and they were the ones who had authority. And in some sense, maybe Jesus is saying also, the gates of hell shall not prevent. The gates of authority, the, the gates of government, no matter how they will produce laws uh, against the people of God, they shall not prevail. They shall not prevail. Jesus, when he went about his father's will, he did everything according to his Father's will. In John 17, verse 4, he said, I have glorified thee on, earth, on the earth. I have finished the work that thou gavest me to do. Jesus made sure when he was on earth that he did exactly as his Father had instructed him. I finished the work that thou gave me to do. And, and Paul even, when he said, I have run a good race. I have finished the course. Make sure that we do the same. You know, if we can only get it into our heads that it is his church. You know, it's not our church. It's his church. We might be less liable to try and build it to plans that we want instead of what he wants. It's his church. I will build my church we want to be like Moses in verse 16 thus did Moses according to all that the Lord commanded him so did he it's, it's wonderful he did it all as God had commanded him Jesus did exactly the same when he was working down here on earth he was able to say I have finished the work that thou gavest me to do each one of us has been given a task make sure at the end of our life we'll be able to say that we did all that the Lord commanded me to do now going on a little bit we have seen in these studies that Aaron was also 
the high priest and as the high priest he is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ who is our great high priest but in verses 12 to 15 it says thou shalt bring Aaron and his sons unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and wash them with water at this laver before the priests could go in to the tabernacle itself into the sanctuary they had to wash their hands and their feet when they came to offer sacrifices they had to go and wash when they, it, before they could go into the altar of incense or before the high priest could go in once a year into the most holy place they had to wash And they shall bring Aaron and his sons unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and wash them with water. And they shall put upon Aaron the holy garments and anoint him and sanctify him that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. And then they shall bring his sons. But just, I want to go back a little bit to chapter 29. And there's a couple of things here. If you look at chapter 29 and verse 7. And this is the declaration and the, dedic the dedication of Aaron and his sons. But first of all, Aaron, thou shalt take the anointing oil and thou shalt pour it upon his head and anoint him. If you read chapter 29, you'll see that there, there was a sacrifice to be made. The, the sacrifice was to be brought and it had to be made. But you know, before that sacrifice was made, Aaron was taken by Moses and anointed. And then if you look further on in that chapter to verse 21, we have the sacrifice has been made then. And in verse 21, you shall take the blood of that is upon the altar and of the anointing oil and sprinkle it upon Aaron and on his garments and upon his sons. Aaron's sons were not anointed until after the sacrifice for their sins had been made. But Aaron himself was anointed before that. And that's a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was anointed by God to come down here and to be the saviour of the world. But we, as Christians are not anointed to do the work of God until after Jesus Christ's sacrifice. Do you get the point? And now, if you look at this chapter 40 again, it says Aaron and his sons. It says that two or three times. In verse 12 it says Aaron and his sons. And later on it says it again. Aaron and his sons. His sons could not operate as priests without the authority of and relationship to their father. You and I, the scripture tells us, we are priests. We have been made kings and priests unto God. And we cannot operate as priests in the church. We cannot operate as priests in the church unless a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is there. Do you understand that? Aaron's sons could not operate as priests except in relationship to their father. We who are Christians have been made kings and priests unto God and we cannot 
operate as priests unless in relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ, our great high priest. We are his sons. And the whole thing was Aaron and his sons. We, our priests, our duty is to carry out the work of the ministry. We may only do this because of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, our great high priest, and with his authority. Go on to verse 34. At the end of all this, Moses had done the work. He'd set up the tabernacle. All as God had said. And what happened? In verse 34. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. What a wonderful end to this whole thing. They had done the work. They had done it exactly as God said. And God was remarkably pleased with it. The whole place was filled with his glory God showed his approval and the people were blessed God had come to dwell amongst his people and that was the whole object of it, God had said I want to come and dwell, I want you to make this sanctuary, I want you to do it exactly as I said and they did it and God fulfilled his promise you know the baby was born in Bethlehem years later the Lord Jesus Christ came to dwell with man Emmanuel, God with us and he came to dwell and to die for sinful man for Christ also hath once suffered for sins the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh but quickened by the Spirit. And then that, that verse in Revelation that we were thinking about. We are priests. They sung a new song. Revelation 5, 9 and 10. They sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign over the earth oh wouldn't it be wonderful if we could live our lives exactly as the Lord has commanded and you know if we do that then we will hear the Lord Jesus when he greets us in heaven saying well done good and faithful servant thou hast been faithful over a few things I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord.